Okay, the story begins. So continuing from last week's discussion, there's two types of Bainanis. There's the Bainani who was kind of just on autopilot. He was, yes, he's controlling his thought, speech, and action. Yes, he's not acting on his impulses, but he doesn't really have the exposure. His impulses aren't that interesting. <laughs> he doesn't really, you know, he grew up in a very nice, easygoing environment. Um, he's never tasted the forbidden fruit, if you will. And that's called the Bainini who does not serve God. Then there's the Bainini who does serve God. A Bainini means somebody who controls their thought, speech, and action, all of, and, and therefore doesn't do any sin, and does the mitzvahs that he can. Um, but the second type of Bainini actually challenges himself to grow. The fact that he challenges himself, pushes himself a little bit harder to do more beyond his comfort zone is an indication that he has a little bit more inspiration. And he starts off our chapter saying that this is a, an encompassing principle, a general principle, an important principle in the service of Abenami. On the top of 189, the first bold, he says, for Abenini. Abenini is the person who is externally, has external uh, behavioral perfection, but still has emotional struggles in their relationship with God and Judaism and people. For those who seek, or for those who seek to become Abenini, so we're trying to develop behavioral perfection, even if we're not there yet. The worship of God has this one all-encompassing principle. What is the general principle for Abenini? The point is not just to be perfect behaviorally, because with, if a person is just focusing on their behavioral part of the relationship, what's going to happen? They don't feel like it's really them. They burn out, right? So let's keep reading. The main thing is to dominate and control the natural tendencies of the animal soul in the heart's left chamber. It's important not just to behave good, we actually have to have some inner motivation to keep us going. That makes the relationship wholesome. I'm going to skip to the next bold paragraph. Where do we get this from? Through the divine light which shines upon your soul that rests in the brain. We'll discuss in a minute how to access that. But just back to the rubber band analogy. I've said it before, but it's, I, I, it's my favorite analogy. And I'm going to say it again because I just think it's so important. It really brings out the point of Tanya. We have the rubber band. This side of the rubber band, the outside of the rubber band is my behavior, my observance in Judaism, the physical part of the relationship. The inside of the rubber band, closer to me, is my emotions, my passion, my motivation. If I'm just focusing on increasing behavior, just focusing on behavioral perfection, what happens? I'm elevating my behavior. But what's happening right now? Tension, right? We get, uh, in psychology, we may call this hypocrisy. We may call it imposter syndrome, but I feel like it's not me. I feel like on the out, what I am on the outside is not who I am on the inside. And I either snap and go crazy or I start to drop things because I just can't handle the pressure, which is very normal. I'm a human being. So I start to revert back. 
So Tanya came and said, I have an idea. You're increasing your behavior. Why don't we increase the side of the rubber band? Why don't we increase your motivation? Your emotional comfort with Judaism, your emotional part of the relationship with Judaism. So the rubber band is a little bit, the two ends of the rubber band are a little bit closer together. There's a little bit less tension. The point of the Bainini, the Bainini is behaviorally perfect, or for those who are aspiring Bainini's, we aspire to become behaviorally perfect. But it's important that we don't just get lost in the behavior, the mechanics of the relationship. We have the motivation in the relationship as well. How do we develop this motivation? How do we develop feelings? Anyone? How do we develop feelings in our relationship with God? How do we... Well, it's, it says through meditation. Good. Through meditation. The more we think about something, the more we feel passionate toward it. Or the more we feel anything toward it. So, if you had a hard day at work, somebody bothered you. You walk away, you ignore them. And you forget about it. You move on, right? The feeling's not really going to surface on its own. But what happens when you go home and you start discussing what happened at work with your spouse? And you start getting into detail what this person said and what you responded and how they reacted to that and how angry you are. You start talking about it. How are you going to feel? Enraged. Passionate. Maybe not a positive passion, but you'll feel passionate. Because you thought about it, and even spoke about it, you're going to feel it. The same applies to our relationship with God. The same applies to good things. The more we think about the greatness of God, the more we think about the kindness of God, the more we think about the relevance of God, and the more we articulate it, the more we're going to feel it. A bane and eat should get himself to the point where he's not just forcing himself to adhere to Jewish observance, but he's passionate about Jewish observance. He wants it. He's not going to be to the same degree of a tzaddik. A tzaddik totally internalized the soul, and it's just who he is. For the Benini, it's still going to be work, but he still could get himself to a point where he's passionate, where he's inspired, where we're interested. And that's through meditation. Meditation in a Jewish context, meditation is not just relaxation and mindfulness, but meditation means to focus on an idea and allow that to inspire us. Let's take a look on page 190, the first bold paragraph. This happens through mindful meditation on the greatness of God's blessed infinite light, so that your power of Bina, which we discussed in chapter 3, Bina means your ability to understand, give rise to the spirit of Da'as. Da'at is knowledge or recognition, the ability to internalize, and reverence of God in your mind. So the more we think about God, and the more we have Da'at. Da'at, da'at is usually translated, literally translated as knowledge, but it doesn't refer to the information. It refers to the ability to relate to the information, like we said in chapter 3. When Adam and Eve were intimate with one another, what does the Torah say? Adam knew Eve. To know something means to be intimately familiar with it. 
now it could truly inspire you. The, idea, the ability to empathize. How do you empathize with someone? You have to really relate to what's going on, right? To really feel something, we have to be able to relate to it. And that's the process of meditation. Meditation inspires, uh, uh, is a framework in which we can allow ourselves to feel. So we're not just behaviorally engaged in a relationship and burn out, but we're emotionally and psychologically, intellectually, and spiritually engaged. It's a wholesome relationship, all-encompassing. I'll tell you a story. I've said this story in the past. I don't know if I said it in this class, though. But some of you have heard it. Um, about five, uh, was it five years ago? Yeah, about five years ago. I was working as a dormitory supervisor in Yeshiva, New York. I was, the, I was together with a friend. We worked together. We were the dormitory supervisors. We were in our early 20s. The students were in their late teens, mid-late -teen, mid teens. And we were there to take attendance and just to make sure, you know, nothing goes too crazy in the dormitory. The school was having a, um, Yeshiva was having a Shabbaton, a Shabbat getaway. We were going to Morristown, New Jersey. And the original plan was I have the week off. My friend who I, whom I was working with, he's going to go and supervise for the weekend. And I was going to have their week off. My friend got sick. He calls in, can't make it. Okay. They never asked me to come. So I assumed, okay, as long as they don't say anything to me, I'm good. <laughs> as long as the principal, as long as my employer doesn't say anything to me, I'm good. I'm trying to avoid him this whole time. <laughs> my first time holding a real job, I'm trying to avoid my employer. <laughs> as long as he doesn't see me, he doesn't say anything. I walk through the school. I see him in the hallway. He doesn't say anything. He as I'm about to walk out, I've cleared the room. I don't have to go for Shabbos. She says, oh, Josh. I'm like, oh. I turn around, yeah. How can I help? He says, so your friend Mendy's not feeling well. Can you take over? This is hours before Shabbos, before we're supposed to leave. <sighs> Didn't want to go. I said, if you want me to come, I'll come. I was just I was being honest. If you want me to, I will. I'll do it. I don't really want. He says, I don't want you to come. I want you to want to come. I'm not interested in forcing you to do something you don't want to do. I don't want you to come. I want you to want to come. That line stuck with me for the past five years. Because it's so powerful in our relationships, in our relationship with people, in our relationship with God. God says, I don't just want you to observe the mitzvahs. I want you to want it. I ended up going, I ended up not wanting it, and we were all happy. <laughs> but the meditation is that framework in which to inspire us so we actually feel like we want it and not just feel like we have to. Sometimes we have to do things even if we don't want it. Right? That's part of a relationship. There's things we do in a relationship even if we're not in the mood. But what we're saying is here is how can we get ourselves in the mood? How can we inspire ourselves? That's where meditation comes in. And that's the concept of tefillah, of davening, of prayer. 
we daven every morning, that's a framework in which we can inspire ourselves. And one, one of these days, we'll have to go through the whole davening because it's, a, it's really a ladder. The davening is structured as a ladder, as a progressional ascent, and we progress higher and higher, deeper and deeper in meditating in this relationship. Um, but even meditating on a small piece of the davening can inspire us. Um, I'm going to share my screen with you to the text, that, um, to a relevant text that I wanted to share. Okay, can you see the screen? Yes. Yeah, and show you got it printed, right? Okay, you got the email. You got the, okay, perfect. So text number one. It's from a book called Kuntras Avoda, which means an essay on service talking about the emotional service of God. And it talks a lot about prayer, which is a part, part of our emotional relationship with God. The entire exerting process of prayer, of tefillah. All purpose to pr of prayer is for the purpose of developing love. It's to inspire us. Sometimes we're not inspired to pray, but the goal of prayer is actually to inspire us. For there are two goals of prayer of tefillah. Number one, connecting and attaching the godly soul to elevate it so it experiences passion, so to reconnect to our divine souls, to become more aware of our divine souls. Number two, to bring clarity to the animal soul and to refine it. The more we're in touch with the divine soul, the more clarity and inspiration the animal soul can get. Both these goals are accomplished through the trait of love and prayer tefillah inspires us with this love. And this is expressed in the Shema prayer, which is in text two. In the Shema, first we say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. We meditate on how God is one. God being one is another way of saying God is relevant. Because if He is one, He is part of everything. It's very relevant to us. And then it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. When we meditate on the oneness of God, the relevance of God, we're inspired to love Him with all our heart. We're inspired to feel Him. The more we think about God, the more we'll feel passionate about Him. And this is true with any relationship. The more we think about how special someone is, and not only how special they are objectively, but how special they are to us, the more passionate we'll, we'll feel about them. Just in, real quick, in the context of prayer, the Talmud says that the three daily prayers, the morning prayer, Shacharit, the afternoon prayer, Mincha, and the evening prayer, Mariv, correspond to the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Talmud brings a verse to exemplify how each one of them prayed, how Abraham prayed in the morning, Isaac in the afternoon, Jacob in the evening. When it says Avraham prayed in the morning, the verse that it brings says, Vayashkem Avraham Baboker, Avraham woke up in the morning. It doesn't say he prayed in the morning. It says he woke up in the morning. If it's talking about prayer, why didn't it say he prayed in the morning? The whole purpose of prayer is to wake us up, is to inspire us. And that's the idea of this meditation. Um, actually, According to Kabbalah, and we're going to talk about this in chapter 23, 
But the Zohar says that the six, there's 613 mitzvahs, right? Two, and the mitzvahs are broken up into two sections. The do's, 248 do's, 365 don'ts. The 248 do's each correspond to a limb, a specific limb, a specific organ, I should say. And Kabbalah explains that prayer doesn't correspond to any specific organ. Because prayer is the soul behind the mitzvahs. Just like your organs have a soul, we have a soul, our body has a soul, the mitzvahs have a soul. The soul of a mitzvah is prayer. The love, the feeling, the passion that it gives us, the, that, that helps us uh, lift up, you know, elevate ourselves. This is what a Bainini ideally should experience, or an aspiring Bainini should experience. Questions, thoughts, comments, controversy? I think sometimes it, you know, like through prayer, you, you get a connection to God. But at, at troubling times like these, sometimes it's harder to, to feel that connection because you say, I don't want to be connected to this God who has brought so much misery to, to the world at this point. And you're asking yourself, why? I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. It, it's almost like a, an abusive, feel, could, could feel like an abusive relationship. Yeah. Why would I want to connect with this God? <laughs> Look what he's doing. Wait yeah, but is, but is God doing it or is it the free will that he gave to the people and the people are making that decision? Um, I, I agree. Well, it depends what it is. But um, you know, God won't make anybody loot. But the virus, or I guess people spreading the virus, is, is people's decision. Yeah, it's like, so. right. You know, it's it's such a scary time, but I'm trying not, I don't, I'm not putting God in this situation. Right. I'm I'm keeping God out of that situation, and it, it's people's choices. God, God gives people free choice. Right. And they're just making some pretty awful choices right now. Right. But when you say that, you know, an abusive relationship. When an abusive relationship, you could walk away. Relationship with God, it's not quite that easy. True. But also with a relationship with God, we trust that he's not being abusive. And we're, well, we're people, just, we're misunderstanding him. But in times like now, you could say he's abusive. Well, that's why we have Tanya as our therapist. <laughs> Help well, us understand know. each other a little bit better. Okay. But but I but I I do agree with Cheryl. I think a big part of it is, you know, God gives everybody free choice, and nobody's telling us how, no, nobody's forcing anybody to behave in a certain way. And if a person is irresponsibly spreading a virus, you know, God created that virus. But if a person's irresponsibly responsibly spreading it, God allows people the free choice. If a person he um, decides to be violent or loot that you know or or you know break into places or god forbid murder somebody unjustifiably you know murdering innocent uh you know cop people murdering innocent people unfortunately that's free choice and and that's part of the relationship is is trust god gives us a lot of trust 
He, he gives us so much trust. He gives us so much liberty. Right, and all these people are breaking God's trust. And, and they're breaking God's trust. But, but it does show that if he trusts us, can't we trust him? But that's a separate discussion. I, 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 but I, I see your concern, Barbara. It, is, it does make it more, it can make it more difficult to want a relationship with him. That's true. It's true. But assume, assuming that you do want a relationship with him, because you do, your soul wants that. The animal soul tries to throw us off and say, why would I want a relationship with him? <laughs> and that's also valid. That's, that's a very real feeling. It is. But the divine soul, and that's really the inner debate with, that, that Tanya is kind of addressing. The animal soul throws these curveballs and tries to talk us out of this relationship. Whether it be inconvenient, whether it be difficult, whether I feel it's unjustified because why would a good God do bad things? And the divine soul, though, has a little bit, the divine soul is really a piece of God, a child of him. And a child wants to connect to the parent. And a child trusts that the parent is doing everything that's best for the child. Now, how do we get in touch with that inner child so we feel more motivated? So we feel more inspired. That's the idea of prayer. Now, the problem with everything I'm saying right now is it's really fun to talk about. And in a perfect world, that's great. But how much of us, how many of us are burning with love and passion for God, a God we don't see and hear after davening? We run to Kiddush after davening. <laughs> yes. So, in other words, this is great theoretically. It's great on Zoom. It's great in a class. It's beautiful to talk about. But does it work? I think it depends. I mean, certain days after davening, you may feel like God sitting right next to you. Right. Other days, you may not have that connection. Right. That's true. Part of it will depend on circumstances. Right, or just how you feel that morning. Part, yeah, part of it is that. Part of it is some of us are just, part of it depends on the person, person's mood. Sometimes we're more sensitive. Sometimes we're less sensitive. And in a situation where we're feeling less sensitive, the author of the Tanya says, okay, I have another suggestion. If this isn't working, if you're not feeling the passion, then you can at least feel appreciation. Passion relieves tension in a relationship. Because if I'm doing things in a relationship, I'm physically investing, but I don't feel emotionally invest invested, right? That's where there's tension. But if I can't feel the passion, if I can at least feel appreciation, that's going to be valuable. So going back to the rubber band analogy, I'm increasing my behavior my physical relationship. Ideally, if I had passion, I'd shoot all the way up here, right? The rubber band ends would be closer together. If I didn't have any passion, I'd be down here. If I have appreciation, at least I can be here. I could be somewhere. I could meet somewhere in the middle. If I don't love God, can I at least intellectually love him, if you will? This is on page 191. You know, going back to the wanting, God says, okay, you don't want a relationship with me. Do you at least want to want a relationship with me? 
if we at least want to want it, even if we don't want it, that itself will relieve tension, inner tension. That feeling of imposter syndrome or hypocrisy that we often um, face or feel that we're facing. Uh, top of 191. But there's an additional second all-encompassing principle for the worship of the Bainini that we need to know. I'm going to skip to the next bold paragraph. I'm skipping the middle paragraph. The additional principle tells you how to react even after doing all the appropriate meditations. Your intellectual capacity and cognitive focus prove insufficient to generate love of God tangibly in your heart. So I thought about God, I meditated, and I prayed, I did everything, and I'm just not feeling it. Right? That your heart should burn like a fire, like a flaming fire. I'm not feeling that fire. And desire intensely with a palpable desire, craving, long, uh, longing in your heart and desire to attach to him. Rather, skipping to the next bold paragraph, the love remains concealed, stuck in your brain, in the hidden places of your heart. What we feel is a product of how we think, right? So when I feel passionate about God, that means my mind gave birth, if you will, to feelings. We, we explained earlier in chapter 3 that the, there's, the, said there's, the seven, there's the emotional character traits and there's three intellectual character traits. There's the Chachma. Chachma translated as wisdom, being open to something larger than ourselves, being open to an idea beyond what we can understand. There's Bina, which means understanding, understanding that idea. And then Da'as, which means relating to that idea, making that idea relevant. According to Kabbalah, Chachma and Bina, wisdom and understanding, are like the mother, are like the father and the mother. They come together and they produce feelings. If I have an idea, and if I understand the idea, I'm gonna feel, and I and if I have the third ingredient, which is like the midwife, the da'at, relating to that idea, I'm gonna feel passionate. If I'm not feeling passionate, that means the idea is still stuck in the intellectual world. It hasn't yet made it to the emotional world. Which means, although I don't love God, I can still appreciate Him. Love is emotional. Appreciation is rational, intellectual. And if in a relationship I'm having trouble emotionally connecting, can I at least appreciate, intellectually connect? Right? Yeah. Let's jump to page 194. When I think about my intellectual connection, I, I think this is so important because sometimes we just say we're not feeling it. And I tried to feel it, I'm not feeling it, it's just not happening. So let's take a second, pause. Okay, I'm not feeling it. Can I at least appreciate it? Can I at least understand it? Right? Can I at least understand Let's look on 194, it's the only bold paragraph, toward the bottom of the page. Now, when you will contemplate this idea deeply, how worship is appropriate with the discernment of the hidden places in your heart and your brain. So when you think, although I can't love God, at least it's appropriate to love Him. At least I agree it's appropriate. At least I can appreciate Him. Although I can't passionately feel for Him at this moment, 
I can at least understand that I should. And your mouth and heart are consistent. In other words, your mouth carries out whatever um, whatever was decided through the discernment of your heart and mind. Namely, that God's Torah is your delight with your mouth and the study of it day and night. And likewise, your hands and other limbs observe the commandments following what was resolved through the discernment of your heart and mind. Then, as we shall see, this is enough to rend this worship as ideal. In other words, if I can get myself to a point where, although I'm not passionate about Judaism, emotionally, I intellectually appreciate it, that's a full relationship. That is still a deep relationship. There is still a lot there. Right? Any thoughts, comments? So basically, it, this, this was confusing a little because saying, okay, uh, I don't feel this love, I don't feel this passion, um, but I understand there's a God there, and um, yeah, and I, I'm respectful of God, and um, I trust in God, but I don't feel this passion. So that means this is almost just as good? I don't know if it's as good, but if there's appreciation, it's at, le it's at least sufficient. It at least makes the relationship not just behavioral. There is depth to the relationship. Because I, I appreciate it and I understand it. I'm just not feeling it. And that's, that's, you know, that's my issue. Whatever reason, I'm not feeling it. And maybe we can work on how to get those feelings there one day. But at least in this moment, at least I'm, I'm appreciating it, which is there's depth to the relationship. It's not just behavior. It's not just surface deep. It's not just behavior. There's something more to it. Is it almost like a ladder? Is, is it like a ladder where like you have, you know, the appreciation is here and then, you know, you kind of climb up and get the passion yeah, exactly. There's different levels of the there's different levels of depth to the relationship. It's not as deep of a relationship. But do you always do people always get there? I, I don't think they always do. Um, that's a good question. I think there's different times. I think everybody has their moments. I think there's times where we can get there. There's times where it's going to be harder to get there. But at least we, at least conceptually, I get it. So I'm, I'm motivated. If I wasn't even conceptually engaged, in other words, if I'm not emotionally engaged, can I at least be intellectually engaged? Could there be some depth to the engagement other than the behavior? It's a, this is a, um, I won't call it a dichotomy actually, but let's say somebody says, intellectually i know that there is a god intellectually and i feel it well then therefore if i know that there's a god and god put us on this earth then emotionally i should be serving this god um but so it's hard sometimes to intellectually say okay i know that that's there because if if i know there's a god and i should be serving this god um, yet at this point, I'm not happy with this God. So maybe there is no God. 
Well, then God is just an invention of my happiness. <laughs> if he makes right. me happy, there's a God. If there's no, if he doesn't make me happy, there's no God. But, um, but it's more, it's more than that. It, it, it's, I mean, I, I think you said, I think you hit the nail on the head. When I'm feeling God, when I'm thinking about God, when I appreciate him, I should feel him. For whatever reason, I'm not feeling him. And we can explore why we don't feel him with our Tanya therapist afterwards. But at least in this moment, do I at least appreciate him? So I appreciate him. There's motivation to the relationship. In other words, think about it this way. What is the function of love? In, I think in, a, in contemporary society, love isn't seen as a function. It's seen as a goal, as an experience, right? If a person falls in love and if a person's in love, that is all they need. And they're going to do whatever it takes to get there. But in, and that is true in certain contexts in Judaism, but that's a very high level. And before we get to that level, just to experience God, love is actually seen as a motivation. Not as, a, not as an experience, as a goal, uh, not as a goal, as an experience, but as a means to a goal. In other words, it's a tool in a relationship. Um, Actually, the Zohar refers to love and respect as two wings. Two wings of the bird that help the bird fly. The bird, the bird itself represents the observance, the action. The action must, needs flight, needs to lift off a little bit. We need to feel like we're on cloud nine a little bit with God, that we're passionate, that we're interested. We need those wings. But the goal is not just the wings. The goal is just not to fly. Look at it this way. According to Jewish law, when, we bring, when you bring an offering in the temple in Jerusalem, so one of the offerings was a bird offering. The bird has to be a kosher bird. The bird has to be considered a halakhically complete bird for it to be a kosher offering. Now, how do you define a complete bird? So the Talmud says, if you have wings with no bird... It's not a complete bird. If you have a bird with no wings, it, it's not ideal, but it, it works. And it's the same with our observance. If we have the bird, if we have the observance, but there's no wings, there's no passion. It's not ideal, but it works. If you have passion, but that passion isn't carrying anything, wings with no bird, okay, it feels good beautiful experience but then what so in our relationship with God we have the bird we have the action and to some degree we even have wings it's not an emotional passion it's not as deep as we'd like and hopefully we'll get there but at least there's an appreciation at least it's something Maybe it's the smaller wings. Maybe it's wings with the feathers clipped a little bit. <laughs> but they are wings to some degree. And, and that's what he says here um, on page 195. In, the, in this case, the discernment of the heart which you did achieve. 
In other words, I made an intellectual decision that this is what I want, even though emotionally I'm not yet there. It becomes dressed in the act, spoken word, and thought of Torah and its mitzvahs, providing the Torah and mitzvahs with necessary brain energy and vibrancy and wings with which to soar heavenward. Although emotionally I'm not there, at the end of the day, there's still wings. There is something lifting up my service, and it's not just going to be this rubber band with tension. It will relieve tension. Get rid of this. Just... Right? Just... In other words, at the end of the day, it, it serve, the intellectual appreciation serves the same function as the emotional connection. It motivates. It's not going to be as deep of a motivation. It's not going to be as passionate of a motivation, but it is a motivation. It's comp accomplishing the same thing as love. Let, let's put it this way. I'm having trouble empathizing with somebody who's going through something difficult. Right? To empathize means to feel the way they feel. I can't empathize with you. I'm just being intellectually honest. I'm not in, I can't empathize. Can I at least understand? If I can't empathize with you, can I at least understand where you're coming from? You see the difference? If you were to empathize with somebody going through a difficult time, it would be a very deep relationship. If you can't empathize, can you at least understand where they're coming from and let them know? It's not as deep as empathy, but it's still pretty deep. Right? It still feels good that you're understood, that you're validated. Now, let's apply that idea to our relationship with God. If I can't feel passionate about God, I'm just, I'm trying. Can I at least understand that this is what he wants? And I appreciate that. I appreciate my heritage. I appreciate my purpose in this world. Even if I'm not feeling it, but I appreciate it. That's enough to at least motivate me on some level. So now that my behavioral relationship is not just behavioral, but has more depth to it. So now when I light those Shabbat candles, or when I observe Shabbat, or when I keep kosher, or, or whatever it is, all these things, I'm not, maybe at this moment I'm not feeling it, but at least I get it. So I don't just feel like, what am I going through all this for? What am I going through all this trouble? I feel, because I'm motivated. I'll tell you a great story. Speaking of empathy, and if you can't empathize, can, can we at least appreciate and understand it? This is an incredible story. Happened in the past decade. No, probably no, probably a little longer than that. Probably might be 20, 30 years ago that it happened. There's this young girl. She would go to sleepaway camp every year in upstate New York. Except for this year. No. <laughs> <laughs> She would go to sleepaway camp in upstate New York every year, Jewish sleepaway camp. She loved it. She had a great time. Every year, her parents would come and visit her on visiting day. Her grandparents would come as well. And it's something she really looked forward to because her parents were there. Her grandparents were there. It was her mom's parents. Her father and grandfather, so a father and a father-in-law, are walking, going for a walk together around the campus. And the father-in-law, sorry, so the, so the son, her dad, 
and grandfather. So father and father-in-law are walking around the campus. The grandfather at this point is elderly. And he notices as they're walking, another elderly gentleman walk by. The grandfather, the father-in-law gives him a nod. They nod to each other, they move on. Son-in-law says, who was that? Oh, somebody I knew from before the war. He was a Holocaust survivor. Somebody I knew from before the war. We were friends. You were friends with him before the war? You both made it out? You both happened to be in the same camp with your grandchildren. This is incredible. You were good buddies before. You both made it to the United States. You're here together and all he gets is a nod? Go say hi to him. Give him a hug. Grandfather says, I'd rather not. What do you mean? You were friends with him before the war. Nothing? Just what's going on? He said, I don't want to talk about it. The son-in-law pushes him. What's going on? So he says, we were friends before the war. Very good friends. We would meet daily. He said, we would actually study Torah together daily. I was told by an outside source that the Nazis would soon be invading our town. And I had four tickets to get on a boat and leave or on a train and leave. I don't know where they lived. I think it was Germany. It's probably a train and leave. I had four tickets and we had a, I had a plan. Tomorrow morning, we had our bags packed. We're abandoning our house. We're abandoning our lives. My wife, my two daughters are getting on the train. We're bouncing. I hid these four tickets. Nobody knew where that hiding spot was except for my good friend because we're good buddies. I didn't tell anybody else. The next morning, I'm getting ready. We have our bags. We're going to go on that train. The tickets are gone. The four tickets are gone. The Nazis came, invaded our shtetl, took my wife and daughters, killed them. This was a second marriage. There was only one person who knew where those tickets were. And that one person escaped with his family. He said, we were friends. We're not friends anymore. <laughs> it was this gentleman that he nodded to. So he says to him, let's go get him. Let's talk to him. Let's, let's yell at him. Let's something. What do you, how do you even nod to him? <laughs> Before I was suggesting that you give him a hug and embrace, but how did you even nod to him respectfully? How can you have any level of respect for such a person? So he says to him, relax. I don't forget. Look, I don't know if I can forgive him, but I at least understand where he's coming from. I understand that I get it. These were difficult times. These were challenging times. This was a time where nobody ever imagined themselves being in. And obviously I don't appreciate what he did and I don't think I can forgive him, but I get it. I understand. I can't talk to him and embrace him. I can look at him and move on. I just have to move on because I get it. This is a true story. It reminded me of our chapter. Can we feel God? 
Sometimes we can't. Sometimes we're just, there's too much going on. But can we get it? Can we intellectually, can we, can we conceptually understand that this is what we should be doing? Can we conceptually understand the depth of our relationship with him? Conceptually understand the purpose that we have in this world? If we're not passionate about it, can we at least conceptually appreciate it? We can, through a little meditation. And it adds so much depth to the relationship. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Well, the end of the, the, end of the chapter touched on Kabbalah. Yes, yes. And, and that was really, um, you know, something that I, I don't fully understand the, the different supernal worlds. Right. There's and four, I said that's a whole class. That, that's a whole class for itself. The four, understanding the four worlds, the function, um, how they exist, not just in a spiritual realm, but also in a psychological, emotional realm. There's a lot to discuss with the four worlds. And the Tanya is going to elaborate more on it later in like the chapters in, in like the 40s, mid 40s. Oh, okay. So here it came out of left field. <laughs> yeah, and I go, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, I have a Kabbalah for Dummies book, but it. <laughs> yeah, that's why it seemed like Barbara. There was just so much. Like I could, like this first half that we did. Great, and then it seemed like we needed like a whole nother class for this last the half. second I half. Agree with you. Yeah. Right. So are we just going to let that second half go for right now? Okay, I have to decide. Either we're going to let it go, or we'll continue. I, I I'll take a look and and we'll decide. Okay. I'll keep you updated. So I saw Josh. You're going to start camp in, in July. 